free, live free. And uh, the book of Galatians is all about God's grace. It's all about the truth that it's not what you do as a Christian. It's all about what has been done by Jesus Christ in dying on a cross. You see, the book of Galatians is a book of freedom. That's why we've entitled it Set Free, Live Free, a study in Galatians. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, Paul planted a whole load of churches throughout his lifetime, and he planted a bunch of churches in the region of Galatia, which is kind of modern-day Turkey. He, he, he planted the church in Antioch and Lystra and Iconium. You can read about in Acts 13 and Acts 14. And this is a letter that he's writing to that group of churches. And he has, Paul has such a love and a care for these people. He does not want them to be led astray by false teachers. He, he does not want them to have anything added to the gospel, because that's what was happening. Things were getting added to the gospel. Rules were getting added. Circumcision was getting added. Practices and procedures were getting added. And Paul comes back again and again. He says, look, it's not what you do. The Galatians needed reminding, even though it was only a number of years ago that he'd been with them. They needed reminding. And so do we. We need reminding. Because everything in this world is set up that what you do means you earn your way through life. Let me just read a quote to you that Philip Yancey says. Let me read a quote on the next slide. As early as preschool, he is American, but the point still remains, and kindergarten, we are tested and evaluated before being slotted into the advanced, normal, or slow academic track. From then on, we receive grades denoting our performance in maths, science, reading, or even social skills and citizenship. Test papers come back with errors in red, not correct answers highlighted. All this helps prepare us for the real world with its relentless ranking. You see, the truth is God's grace and God's love, it seems too good to be true. Let me break it down for you, just, just by way of introduction, but it's so important. You know the word we often use in church, the word gospel. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the good news of Jesus. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in the Greek, that translates, gospel translates good news. It means news that brings great joy. It means, if you dig a bit deeper, history-shaping or life-changing news. It means some kind of news that has changed the world in a big way. So let me give you an example. If you are in a city an olden day city that is under siege by an army and you can't get out and you are trapped in your city. But an army comes along and defeats the foes that are around you and you are liberated. The gospel would go out into all of the world to say that you have been liberated and you have been freed. The battle has been won. You are no longer slaves. You are 
free. That's the kind of gospel news we're talking about. News that brings freedom. News that is life-changing and history-shaping. But news that is nothing to do with you. You don't do everything, anything, sorry, Jesus does everything. And this is the main difference between Christianity and other world faiths, because all other world faiths are about what I do, how I am judged on my life and what I do. But Christianity says it's all being done for you. It's the gospel. It's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more illustration before we read the passage that we're going to get to, the second half of Galatians chapter 1. Because I want to illustrate to you again why why Paul is, is writing this letter to the church in Galatia, why he's so angst by this, why he's so angry by what has happened. Just picture for a minute, 1970s, 1980s, South Africa apartheid. And a project is being put into practice to build a community center in one of the cities of South Africa. But this is a radical new community center because it is a community center for everyone. There is one door. There is only one kitchen. There is only one space with no segregation. Now, the foundations of this building have been built, and the plans have been made, and the plans are laid out. But the builders who design the center have to go away on business to another country. And while they are away, a new set of builders come along, and they change the design. And there's no longer one front door, there's two front doors. One for black, one for white. The main room is now segregated. There's segregated kitchen area. There's segregated toilets. And people are confused. The plans have changed, but people fall in line with the new plans that have come along. See, this is a picture of what has happened here in Galatia. Paul comes, proclaims the good news. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died on the cross for you. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no division, no hierarchy, no separation. There's a foundation of grace. Paul goes away, but new builders come along who don't know Paul, and they bring in different rules and regulations. We can't have Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles together. We need to separate them. If a Gentile becomes a Christian, they need to be circumcised. That They change the whole foundations of the building. And Paul says, this is not the gospel. Paul is angry at the distortion of the truth. So let's read the second half of Galatians chapter 1. Verses 11 to 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not from human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely 
I, that's Paul, persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Okay, we're going to pick out three things from this passage. Firstly, you are each unique stories of God's grace. How did Paul hear about Jesus? Because Paul wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12. So you think, well, did Paul make this all up? Did he borrow the story from someone else? How do we know this is Real. Well, we're told in verse 11 and 12 that Paul had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the best way for Paul to demonstrate the reality of the gospel, the reality of the gospel of grace, was to reach into his past and remind the Galatians how God saved me. Verse 13 to 14, Paul says, You have heard of my former life. Well, what was Paul's former life? Paul's former life was that he persecuted the church. He hated the church. He wanted to murder Christians. He wanted to wreak havoc with the church. That was his former life. Acts 22, verse 4 to 5 says, I persecuted the way to death, by the way being the church. I persecuted the way the church to death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council can bear witness. So, so Paul hated the church. That was his former life. And he also, his former life was that he was a strict Jew. He was basically a fanatical Jew. He kept the rules religiously. He lived, he breathed, he spoke Judaism. He was like the up-and-coming young star of Judaism. There was nothing within him that was going to change his mind. He hated Christians, and he was the strictest, proudest, kind of A1 Jew. That was his whole identity and who he was. But you can read the story in Acts chapter 9 when Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He has a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, and his life is changed forever. He goes from being a persecutor to a preacher. He goes from being one who, who tries to kill Christians 
to one who sees many thousands of people become Christians. In other words, what Paul is telling you is this, look, this has nothing to do with me or with man. This whole story of what God has done in my life is down to God alone. And each one of us have a unique story to tell of God's grace. Each of you have. You can sometimes downplay it. You can sometimes think that yours is not as good as the person sitting next to you. But each of you have a unique story of God's grace. And here's the beautiful thing. No two stories of salvation are the same. Think about it in the natural. You ask any mother who has had two or more children, and they will tell you that every single birth is different. One was long and elongated. One was quick. You know, you, you can talk about the differences, but the point is that every natural birth is different. It's the same spiritually. No two spiritual births are the same. We each have a unique story of God's grace. Let me just, I just want to tell you a few stories of salvation or a few stories of God's grace. The first one I want to tell you is a friend of mine, Matt. Matt was the same age as me. We had a summer job together. Uh, a number of years ago, we were both at university, and he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't from a Christian home. And we started talking and debating. There was about six of us who were doing this summer job working for a corporate entertainment company. And we talked, and we talked, and he asked questions after questions. He was searching, but he had multiple questions. And one night, unbeknown to us, he prayed to God, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? He prayed that prayer. The next day, a whole bunch of us were in two convoys, two Land Rovers with trailers behind them going around the M25 to an event that we were doing. can't remember where it was, somewhere in Surrey, I think. And we were in the first Land Rover and were driving on, but Matt was driving the second Land Rover. And as he drove the second Land Rover, I can't remember exactly what happened now. He skidded or something happened and the Land Rover tipped. And because the Land Rover tipped, the trailer behind it, it was a big, big trailer, also tipped. And you've got to imagine you are on the M25 traveling at 50, 60 miles an hour. If your Land Rover flips, that is not a good thing. And the Land Rover flips and starts skidding along the hard shoulder. Now, miraculously, as it stops, Matt has the presence of mind to kick through the windscreen and jump out of the windscreen. He looks back and literally about 30 seconds later, the whole Land Rover goes up in flames because a spark had gone on to the, the place where the petrol was that had become um, able to be touched because of the screeching along the side of the road, and the whole Land Rover went up in flames. The fireman, unbeknown to Matt, said, you are lucky to be alive. Someone must have been looking out for you. The next day, Matt became a Christian. To this day, he loves the Lord Jesus and is following God and has a beautiful family. That's a unique story of God's grace and salvation. Let me tell you another one. C.S. Lewis, many of you will know. Many of you know, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He had years of discussion and debate with his best mate, J.R. Tolkien, the man who wrote The Lord of the Rings. He was a Christian. C.S. Lewis wasn't a Christian. And they used to spend days upon eight days engaging and debating Jesus at Oxford. And then listen to this. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes about his conversion. September 1931, I know very well when, but hardly how, 
the final step was taken. I was going to whip the zoo one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When we reached the zoo, I did. And yet, I had not exactly spent the journey in thought or emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now fully awake. How different C.S. Lewis's experience of conversion was to my friend Matt's, was, I'm sure, to yours. Many of you will know mine, but I grew up in a Christian home, wonderful, blessed Christian home, put my faith and trust in Jesus when I was 13 and was baptized, went away to India after rebellious teenage years, and in India, the Lord Jesus stripped away everything and said, when, when all is said and done, what do you have that you can hold on to? And that was the moment for me when I put my faith and trust fully in the Lord Jesus to trust him and live for him for the rest of my life. And one more, one more I want to share you, a personal hero of mine, which is a man called Nicky Cruz. If you want to read a brilliant biography this summer, read Run Baby Run by Nicky Cruz. It's the story of Nicky, who was one of 18 children in Puerto Rico. He grew up in a family where witchcraft was common. His uh, mental and physical abuse at the hands of his parents was horrific. His mom used to call him a son of Satan. But at 15 years old, he escaped Puerto Rico and went to live in New York with his brother. But Nicky was full of anger and full of rage. He became part of the notorious Brooklyn gang called the Mau Mau's. And, and Nicky Cruz was, was the president and the fearless leader of this gang. He ruled the streets with fear. There was violence, there was drugs, there was alcohol, there was every vice that you could name. He'd been arrested countless times and was known as the most angry, violent man in New York City. But then one day he met a skinny white preacher called David Wilkinson. A man who loved him, a man who was persistent, who did not give up, who, who shared the gospel with him, even though he was beaten up, even though he was spat upon, even though he was threatened. David Wilkinson said to Nicky Cruz one day when he was beating him up and threatening him, he said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces and each one would say to you, I love you a thousand times. Finally, the love of Jesus melted Nikki's heart. He knew the forgiveness of God and his life was changed forever. Since then, he's been going around the world telling his story, telling people about Jesus. As I said, you can read the whole story in a book, Run, Baby, Run. The point I'm trying to make here is every single one of you has a unique story to tell. Every single one of you on these chairs this morning, watching online, you have a unique story to tell of how God broke into your life and changed you forever. So that's the first thing that Paul challenges about and speaks to us about from this passage. The second thing is that you are each saved by God alone. 
So verses 11 to 14, you read there, Paul talking about I, 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 I. He's talking about his former life. But we get to verse 15, and Paul says, but, but, but when he who set me apart. And you see this again and again in Scripture. You see this again and again. You see it in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You'd fallen short. You, you're nobody. But then verse 4, but God, rich in mercy because of his great love. In other words, what Paul is trying to show to us is, again, you, I, me, us, we do nothing. But when God steps in, everything is transformed. And we, we just in these two verses, 15 and 16, he beautifully sets it out. But God set you apart before you were born. Ephesians 1 verse 4, God chose you. He chose you before the foundation of time. That's a wonderful and a comforting truth. It doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter about your family. It doesn't matter about your bank balance. It doesn't matter about what you have done. God's initiative is towards you and he has chosen you. God chose you. And it says in the second half of verse 15, and called you by his grace. Paul was fighting God. He was trying to kill Christians. He neither deserved or asked for mercy. But God's grace found him and rescued him. You see, God's grace, it takes us by surprise. It comes upon you when you least expect it. It's undeserved and unmerited, but it is an explosion of God's goodness and joy towards you. So God set you apart. God called you by his grace and God reveals Jesus. That's what verse 16 tells us. Paul had a revelation of Jesus and that was what saved him. Remember, he had plenty to boast about. If you're talking about religiosity, if you're talking about good works, Paul had it all to boast about, but he was nothing without Jesus. And we have to remember in our day and age and in the pluralistic society that we live in, that we are nothing without Jesus. That it's not pick and mix in terms of religion. It's only Jesus who saves. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. We are saved by God alone. We are saved by Jesus Christ alone. So, so Paul is telling us of his unique conversion story. And then he is telling us, look, you are saved by God alone. God does it all. He chose you. He called you by his grace and he reveals Jesus to you. And Jesus is the only one who saves. And then finally, Paul tells us that you and I, we have a message to share, a message to tell. In these verses, Paul tells us what happens straight after his conversion. He went to Arabia for three years where he had a period of quiet and solitude. And then he takes, Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles. He takes the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are not Jews. And if you look for a moment in the book of Acts, what you'll see there is in Acts 
chapter 7, Stephen is died. Stephen, one of the um, followers, early followers of Jesus, is stoned to death. And at that moment, the, the, the church is scattered, is kind of spread out in the region. Then you have Acts 8, Philip. One of, Philip the evangelist goes to a Samaritan and tells them about Jesus, someone who's not a Jew. Acts chapter 9, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 10, Peter, who at this point had been against the Gentiles, has this vision and God speaks to him about engaging with Gentiles. And then from that point onwards in the book of Acts, Paul goes out to the Gentile masses. He preaches in Damascus. He preaches in Jerusalem. He preaches in Caesarea. Now, what is interesting is you say, well, what did, what did Paul preach when he went to a new area, when he went to tell the Gentiles the good news of Jesus Christ? What did he say? What did he talk about? Well, we're told here that he told his story. He told about his former life. He told about meeting Jesus. And he told about the change that that made in his life. And when I meet out with people who are going to be baptized at Hope Church, and I say, we want to hear your testimony, we want to hear your story, we want to hear about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I say, let me break it down to you. Tell me about, tell the church about your former life. Tell us about how you met Jesus. And tell us about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And you see, I think so often we think, well, I'm not a very good communicator. I can't stand up in front of a large group of people. Or I don't know the answer to all the big questions of faith. I don't know how the world began. I don't know about certain this, that, or the other. That's okay. Because each of you can tell your story. You can tell, this was my life. This is how Jesus came to me. And this is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And you know the beautiful thing about that? No one can argue with your story. No one can argue with it. You can argue over different points of view when it comes to how the world was created, but you can't argue about what Jesus did in my life. I can't argue with what Jesus has done in your life. And one other point of this, please, you don't need to jazz it up. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to, to make out that these huge kind of life-threatening or life-dramatic events happen. No. Just be real. Just be authentic. Just tell your story. And Jesus modeled this in the Gospels when he healed a cripple. What does he say? He says, go and tell the high priests how your life has been changed. In other words, you've met Jesus. You've met me. Your life is changed forever. Now go and tell the story. Now go and tell someone else. And, and in case this escapes your knowledge, you know, we live in a generation that loves stories. You go to the cinema, you're watching a story being played out. People watch soap operas. They love to watch the story, the trajectory of people's lives. <laughs> little confession, me and my family, we love watching uh, Britain's Got Talent, you know, that kind of thing. But what's very clever about a show like that is, is that it will give you a story behind an act before they get up on the stage. 
It will tell you about, oh, this is, this is Johnny, he's 41, he's from this particular state in Scotland, and this is his interest, and here's his family, and you feel like you're getting to know Johnny before he even steps on the stage. You're engaged by someone's story. We love to hear one another's story. We're to be real and authentic. And look at the last two verses of chapter one, what Paul says. They were only hearing it said, this is of Paul, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The church was astounded and praised God because of what the Lord had done in Paul's life. And you see, do you know what? The church, the church is this. The church is many things, but it's this on a Sunday. You gather together as God's people. You gather to worship. You gather to hear God's word preached. You gather to fellowship and to pray with one another. Why? There's many reasons, but one of the reasons is to then be encouraged to then have your, your, your head lifted to go out into the world and tell your story. To go out and share your story in your workplace. To go out and share your story with your unbelieving neighbors. To go out and share your story with those you bump into on the tube or down at Westfield or down at the shops or wherever you may be. You come in to be encouraged. You come in to have your head lifted up to then go out and to tell your story, to be scattered servants and witnesses to the good news of Jesus and the grace of God, what God has done in your life. So let me conclude with a challenge. The challenge is this. Paul's primary argument in the whole of chapter one, his primary argument for the authenticity of the gospel, for the gospel being through the grace of God, his primary argument is God has saved me. His primary argument is personal. It's me. You want to know that if this gospel is real, look at me. Remember what I was like. Jesus met me. Now look at me. That is your primary first place to see the authenticity of the gospel. And I want us as a church and individually to be a bit more confident in who we are in Christ. A bit more confident in the fact that we've got to share a message to tell because of the grace of God. We've got a message to tell and people will want to hear because we can say, come and see what the Lord has done in me. In me. Again, the book of Galatians is so helpful. The first two chapters, he argues the authenticity of the gospel from personal experience. Then chapters three and four is on a theological argument. And then chapters five and six is the outworking of how we live out a life of freedom and how we live out as a result of what Jesus has done in our life. But it is telling that he begins with the personal. Look at what God has done in me. So let's celebrate our story. 
Let's celebrate what Jesus has done. Let's celebrate new life in Christ. And let's have confidence to share that story. Can the band?